0: Welcome to The Companion Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Cow, and this is my co-host, Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Lawrence. Today, we have the episode of To Boldly Ask with guest John Delancey. This is particularly memorable, probably for you, Rebecca, because it was your first ever project as a producer with us, Mm -hmm. which also happened to be our first live to boldly ask episode.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, a few issues came up that nobody saw, you know, behind the scenes. Issues where Rebecca was (laughs) pinging me all the way until 3 a.m. Can you describe a little bit about what
1: happened? Sure. So because of time constraints, we had to do the live at what was 10 p.m eastern time so that was the 3 a.m your time um and because it was our first live there were a whole bunch of extra tech checks that we needed things that we had to make sure we're good to go but we had a really hard time getting a hold of john right before he was in this rehearsal um we didn't know that at the time so all we knew was there was a chance that he wasn't going to be able to make it um if it had been a recording like the rest of the to boldly ask series we would have been fine we could reschedule but but this was live and it was late (laughs) so all of the other companion staff were asleep and it was very nerve-wracking um but in retrospect in the moment it's always terrifying but in retrospect i know i realize that i've never worked on any kind of film or any kind of production where I didn't have to have at least three or four contingency plans. So with your help and talking to Ian, the host, we came up with quite a few backups just in case. But if anybody out there is listening, who may want to get into the industry, wants to do their own films or any other productions, just know that this tends to be the, the kind of norm. You, you need to have your contingency plans. Lawrence, is your experience the same?
0: It was. And not only is it the same, it was the exact same, maybe. (laughs) Uh, I was given my first ever BBC show where I was the creator, executive producer, the showrunner. And things that I just could not plan for, the most insane thing you could possibly ever think of, happened. And not only that, Chris Judge elevating Black voices in sci-fi, maybe maybe even more intense of what happened Mm. um and so what's so incredible i think about this industry and the effort that you and ian and the wider team um you know puts in is that nobody really sees that in the final product it is just a great episode it's a great job to you
1: and and the rest of the team thanks you want it to look effortless right you want it to to feel good so regardless John was the ever consummate professional, showed up on time as he was supposed to, so we did not have to implement any of our contingency plans, and Ian and John had a wonderful conversation on life, philosophy, and classical music. Enjoy.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, To Boldly Ask." Our goal here at The Companion and to boldly ask is to ask our guests questions they've never been asked before or have rarely ever been asked, and then to dig even deeper. I have plenty of cues ready to roll for our guest today, Mr. John DeLancey, and you, our subscribers, are going to have your chance to ask questions as well. John, thanks so much for joining us today on To Boldly Ask. Great
3: to be here, and I love the fact that behind you is a pinball machine.
2: Yes, that is Gorgar, the first talking pinball machine. Nice. Yes, it's a very—it was my uh, turning fifty present to myself that my friends treated me to. Everybody chipped in. So well,
3: I have a Star Trek story about that right off the bat, without you even having to ask me. Uh, Star Trek—they had a Star Trek pinball machine, Mm -hmm. and I was given one of them. And uh, my house was such that I went, I just don't know where to put this. So there was, our younger son had a friend whose parents had a very big house. And we said, well, maybe you'd like to have it for a little bit of time while we figure out what we are going to do with it. And they said, sure. I've never seen it since. They got divorced. They got divorced. And somebody has that pinball machine. Wow.
2: It's yeah. probably it's worth a lot of money today. By the way, I know it's worth a lot of money. That's a shame. Right. Somebody was it Michael Dorn who still had his in the box. Somebody had it
3: literally stored away. Well, and eyes. one of the voices in it, uh, and I can't even remember the kid's name, uh, the friend of my son's name, but you know whatever, you know, Jimmy. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I actually voice in there. You know, Jimmy, it's time for you to go to bed. You know, something like that. You know, it's in the the pinball machine uh, audio.
2: That is so cool. See, there's a story I never heard. We're done. Good talking to you. Have a good night. Great talking to you. Bye, John. (laughs) So let me start with this. Q has been in your life for 35 years now. If any other role in your career could have had such longevity, what role would you choose and why?
3: oh i i don't know i mean there are roles that i enjoy i would take it from the point of view of of talking about roles that i enjoy today i'm working on a role that seems to be a um uh, a signature piece for me and that is is that i'm getting ready to do another peer gint. Mm-hmm. um you know the the wayward young man uh the 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 kid who didn't uh, didn't want to work and just kind of um, just was, uh, I, I don't even know how to put it. He was, he was kind of a juvenile delinquent, quite frankly, uh, who ends up his life realizing that he has wasted his life. So that's a role that meant a, means a great deal to me. Um, you know, I, I, I love the role of Amundsen, uh, I was playing actually when I got the Star Trek job. I also, uh, like the role of, um, Jack Tanner, thought that was a great role. So those are roles that I wouldn't mind. I'm, I'm glad I did them and wouldn't mind doing them again.
2: There you go. Now, there are many hardcore Trek fans out there who love Q, who love you, and who love TNG. As a kid, what characters, performers, and shows or movies did you personally love?
3: I didn't watch very much television because I didn't know how to read. And so my parents, whether it was a punishment or just a, uh, a way to get me to read more, pulled the TV out. I got to see a lot of movies and the people who I really liked are really kind of old character actors now. Uh, Clifton Webb and, and Adolf Mongeau and know, and, and, and those people and the shows that they were on. So I loved science fiction, um, uh, but none of it, re- until, until Star Trek became a movie, I, I really didn't see Star Trek.
2: Hmm. What was it like, though, for you when you started doing conventions on Star Trek and you ended up meeting a lot of the old character actors at those conventions? Because I'm guessing you met Michael and Sarah, Bill Campbell. A lot of those guys either on the old Star Trek cruises that you used to do or, or just at the other cons. Lawrence Montaigne. I mean, you had some classic actors
3: at these things. Absolutely. And I respected them for for the for their role in the business. But um you've heard the story, you know. I when I auditioned I ended up Uh, auditioning for the role. And this big guy comes out behind me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, you make my words sound better than they are. And, And I said, well, you must be the writer. And he said, I'm Gene Roddenberry. I had no idea who that was. So I just didn't know this. I didn't know these people. Right.
2: Well, what I was getting at was in terms of those actors having been in things other than Star Trek.
3: Oh, oh. As as character actors. I
2: mean, Will Campbell had a remarkable career dating back to the the 40s. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. And for that, I I respected them a a great deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, Q was an afterthought, as you have called him in the past. A character added at the last minute to expand Next Generation's pilot from an hour to two hours. Over the years, especially when it came to Picard, John, how much did you get to contribute to his evolution? whether it was you suggesting something or if you heard from the writers that they said, you know what, here's what we see in you, we're gonna add this to the character. I'm sure it was maybe a little bit of both, right?
3: Yeah, I think my biggest, the biggest contribution I made was early on, and that is to give it a little bit of a spin, a humorous spin, Um, with Corey Allen in in the pilot, uh he really um did not want that no 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 it's got to be really straight straight down the middle um but wherever i could kind of give a wink and a nod i did um then it got to the point where i ended up saying you know please don't write me funny um because i think that i can i can um undercut better than than trying to be you know it's it's not a comedy show in the end right so.
2: And was Roddenberry supportive of the comedy end of the equation?
3: I think so. I think so. I mean, he and I had lunch a couple of times, but interestingly enough, we never actually talked about Star Trek. Uh, we talked about planes. I was working with a with a um, w- with a a doctor who I had met at a ta- taekwondo class, who I'm still friendly with. Mm who was a trauma ward doctor who wanted to become a script writer. And he ended up writing Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. But he and I were working on a, on, a, on a little project, something that I had thought of, which uh, involved a Pete and Pole aircraft, which was a kit that you could buy in the 20s for $500, still not inexpensive, um, and then you supplied the Model T engine, and it was a two seater, and it was sort of a the Pete and Pole aircraft camper. So you could fly to, I guess. Do camps, you know, campsites, that type of thing. So he, uh, so uh, Gene was really interested about that, and we talked about a lot about that. But then, uh, you know, we talked about, of course, his flying, which was real flying, and um, and war stories of which he had them. I just listened, and um, and so that that was our conversations.
2: Huh. Now that the card is done, and you've probably played Q for the very last time. What was he? Was he a god? Was he was he god, a god, or something else? In your opinion,
3: you know, I, I I don't really know how to answer it because I don't have an answer to that. I played Q very close to the vest. Um, if you are given, um, if the character is t- if the audience is told that the character is a god, I don't have to play that. I almost don't even have to think about it uh, because that's just a given. So most of what I did has had or do has to do with just playing the the um the event of the scene and what needs to be done and 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 I I need to provide this 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 and this and the audience provides all of that. Hmm.
2: And has that always worked for you as an actor is that the way you've always approached it?
3: Yes. Um my agent once sent said to me, she said, there are two types of actors: people who illuminate the character and people who illuminate the scene. And you are somebody who illuminates the scene. And where does your voice come in? Because it's
2: such an instrument. I mean, do you find yourself protecting your voice like singers no.
3: do? No, I don't. I, I've never had any issues with my voice. When I first went to Juilliard, um, the um, the person who was the voice teacher at the time took me aside on the first day and told me, your voice is so terrible. There isn't anything I'm going to be able to do with it. Wow. And I, I you know, I, I don't know what that was supposed to mean, or what what she was trying to uh, drive at. But the fact of the matter is, is that my voice is not cultivated It's, I don't do it on purpose. I don't work, you know, I'm down in here and all this type of stuff. I I don't do any of that. Hmm. I also have no problems. I've never, even when I was doing big shows like Man and Superman, I've never had a voice problem, ever. Um, It's just where it is. It's helpful in some instances, business-wise, And not helpful in other instances. I just did um, a a, a project in in Tucson, where I introduced a new a new um, uh, choral work called Helios. Beautiful, beautiful work. And um, I came out and I I introduced the project, and um, and it was um, and and I knew that my voice was important in that respect because I'm on stage with, well, not with an orchestra, but with, uh, you know, it's going to be an auditory thing. I'm not really doing anything different, but I'm aware of it. But for film, I sound like I have a cultivated voice. Um, And um, that's not been particularly helpful. Interesting.
2: Who do you feel has interesting voices among other actors?
3: Well, I don't, I don't really know. I, I kind of don't think about it other than if it's a voice that I don't like. Well, that's that's um, a voice. If it's a voice that is, Grading, or is not used, um, or you know, we we listen. I'll tell a, a funny story in which I was uh, where I met my wife was at. Um, I uh, I had I was in Seattle and I had gone to a show. Um, and uh, and this this woman comes out on stage. The actress comes out on stage, and. You know, it's it's a it's a story that tells you perhaps how disconnected I am, but I went, hmm, moves well. Good vocal pattern, good articulation, good phrasing. Oh, and she's pretty. (laughs) <laughs> so you know, I'm just kind of listening. That's all. And uh, you know, there, there of of late, there's somebody that we were listening to. Uh, both Marnie and I were listening to on NPR. Who has? It, it, it's so difficult to listen. Um, so I, I, those those people pop out to me, but not not others. There you go. Let's get back to Q. He
2: seemed more than a little obsessed with Picard at times. Do you feel that Picard was his purpose in life, or were there other people out there, other Picards, for argument's sake, with whom he interacted?
3: I think that there are two, there are two, um, um, there, there are two zones. Let's take next generation, and then let's take Picard. For next generation, because there was no backstory and what have you, my entire attention was on Picard. Um, The difference being that in Picard, the television show, because I'm internally driven at that point, I have a secret, I have an agenda, I now have a timeline, I have all sorts of things. My attention is less was less centered on Picard, so one could say, in the beginning, I allowed myself to be as annoying as possible, um, uh, just for the just for the fun of it. And uh, in this second stage, it was much more like, "Hey, man, let's get moving here." Mm.
2: Now, everyone talks about the ways in which Picard was changed by Q. But take me to the opposite of that. You're thinking. How did Picard change Q? I,
3: I think Picard um, gave Q the opportunity to be empathetic. Um, I had this story that, um, in my own mind, which was never revealed to any anybody else, uh, it was only a story that I revealed to Terry after the show was done and that is is that because it was a character that had not there was no backstory for i needed to create something something otherwise you know it would just be like a poof i'm i'm there and then poof i'm gone so that's not very satisfying so i gave myself a story which was um uh Uh, You know, do you know the story? I'm sure you do. Plato's The Cave. Uh, Vaguely aware of it, no expert, but go on. Okay, well, very quickly. There's a cave with an entrance uh, for which the the, the sunlight goes through. There are humans who are chained inside the cave and can only see, they can only see the wall of the cave therefore everything that goes in front of the cave becomes a projection on the wall so they are only seeing shadows and continuing the story one of them breaks you know breaks his chains goes out to the entrance goes outside and goes oh my god this is that is reality. That is truth out there. Hmm. Comes back, tells the, the humans, um, this, these are just shadows. I, the philosopher now, am giving you the truth. And of course, they kill them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I had in my head that, what are the Q? The Q are in fact seven, uh, you, know, you, you know, it's either seven, you know, some, you know, those numbers, the seven who are chained, who watch the wall. Hmm. We are the witnesses, but we are only seeing the shadows. So what have I done? I'm the one who has broken out and I'm, you know, <laughs> traipsing through the universe, trying to actually get the real deal. That was
2: my backstory. What did Terry say when you told him this after the fact? Well, he said, fine,
3: I mean, you know, there's nothing actable in it, you have to write it. So, but for me, you know, I, 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 it gave me a a sense of grounding. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it because it's not actable really. Mm It, 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 it gave me some reason to be there and I want to find out and I want, you know, I want a, I'm on a bunch of, you know, whatever it is, a, a ice cream milkshakes or whatever that scene was. And I want a bunch of this and I want to experience that. It gave me a little bit of juice. There you go. All
2: right. Now, you not only played Q, but you wrote a Q novel with Peter David and you recorded Spock versus Q, an audio book. Uh, audio play, actually, with Leonard Nimoy. What did you personally learn about life and humanity from your 35-year association with Q? Because obviously, this guy has meant a lot to you and has been a serious part of your work life, even though it adds up to what, 20 hours of screen time?
3: I I haven't really learned that much about myself through this character. I have learned a great deal about myself through the people who watch this Hmm. this is the audience you know if you take this notion that you do the play and then you take off your makeup and your costume and you go to the stage door and there are a few people there who you know some of them want an autograph and others want to ask you well you know what what the what to tell you what they thought the play was about and stuff like that Mm -hmm. well that's the same event that's been going on for 35 years uh, uh, around that. And from that, it has given me a composite understanding of of my audience. Uh, and I have great respect for them, um, a great understanding of of what this means to them. I mean, it. it, it uh, I tried to explain this uh, uh, when I was to- in Tucson a couple of days ago to somebody who doesn't know it at all. And I said, I meet people who, well, well, actually on stage, somebody came up to me. Uh, I mean, at the end of the thing, he says, I, "I just love just standing next to you. You represent my childhood. You represent the bond that I was able to make with my father. Uh, you, you know, it's that type of stuff. So, so it's a little bit. I, I kind of feel like." Uh, you know that that song that you hear that you haven't heard for a long time right. and you hear it and then you go oh my god it brings back all these things well I'm the guy now who brings back <laughs> <laughs> the gray-haired ghost yes that's that, you. that's right yes and <laughs> the, it, you you got it <laughs> there you go well, I I don't got it but uh, you do <laughs> yeah.
2: all right so the last time you and I spoke John you were on your boat lining up this conversation for to boldly ask we had to make sure you weren't going to be out on your boat So where did your love of being out on the water come from? How long have you had it? And what do you get out of being out on the water?
3: I first started sailing when I was 10 years old. I went to a camp uh, in in New Hampshire and they had a sailboat and I sailed. But probably what really got me is that my father was with the Philadelphia Orchestra and he he had um, uh, uh, essentially theatrical hours. Um, I forget how many shows a week they did—five or six shows a week. That means he's gone. You know, it's it's like any dad who works on Broadway or 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 or, or is in a play, you know, in a regional theater. Monday is your only day off. Right. So I did not get to see him very often, and he he his brother he was a younger the younger brother and his older brother had a sailboat in San Francisco and they would go sailing so he started saying well let's let's get a let's get a sailboat so we got a sailboat and I sailed with him It, it wasn't long before he stopped sailing and I just continued sailing and so that's that's really where, where it all started.
2: And is it a solitary thing for you or Marnie and the kids and grandkids out on the boat with you now?
3: Well, Marnie and the kids, no, not really. I mean, they, they are coastal sailors of and they are fair weather sailors. The thing about sailing that I like the most is that you have to be out of your head. <laughs> not always a great place to be, okay it's right. better to be out of your head than in your head so right and you are running scenarios constantly just if that happened what what would i do if that happened what would it, you do not want to be one of these people that's caught like oh wow gosh what, what was that noise what happened where are we where is this wind coming from you know you 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 just have to be very present and um and um and and attuned. And I enjoy that. I find that, I I like that. I like it. Fair enough.
2: All right. For many years, including what you were mentioning before about Helios, you've been involved in either introducing or narrating or providing prologues for musical and orchestral performances. How did that come about? And what's the joy that you take in that? I mean, you've done a lot of it.
3: Yeah, I have done a lot of it now. As a kid, I would go down to uh, my father was with Philadelphia Orchestra. So that meant that I saw hundreds of concerts Um, and I saw them in a different way than probably most kids did. Um, You know, it was a little bit of a playground. Uh, The the uh, the crew in the back knew me. Backstage, the backstage crew knew me, you know, all the men back there. You know, <laughs> you know, and they, hey, you want to go down and see the well, you know, and here, oh yeah, here, you know, have some donuts. We had them, this, we got them this morning. You know, I mean, it was that type of stuff. And then, um, so I listened and listened and listened, but not really as a musician, but as a kind of a, as time went on as a more, um, uh, as uh, not a professional audience, but just like a, a like a, an audience. I mean, a, an audience that goes all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember as a little boy listening to uh, um, uh, Berlioz's Harold in Italy, the the, the the viola section there, and and just crying, just crying and crying because it was so beautiful. I'm not a musician. Uh, but I've listened to a lot of music. And so when I was asked to do, uh, uh, Gint, um, I think that was the first one, or maybe I had done a bunch of stuff at, at Aspen. I don't know. I don't remember anymore. Um, you know, one of the things that's sort of nice in the music world, at least for people like me, is that if you do a good job for one thing, you could, you, they'll hire you for the next. Uh, you know, if you did a good job for, for, um, Berlioz, you'll, you know, maybe you'll do a good job in Beethoven, uh, as opposed to, as to in our profession is if you do Richard II terrifically, you have to audition for Richard III because right. it might not be your role. So, so people would continue to ask me and, and, um, and I don't know, maybe it's just that it's what I grew up with and I really know the orchestra. I know how it works. Yeah. I had a series. I, I then took over the um, the children's concerts for the L.A. Phil for, I think, four years. And then uh, and then I had a series called um, First Nights, which was me uh pitching a series called we need to have Chul- we need to have children's concerts for adults hmm. uh, because now music is not being taught in you know nobody understands what the context is they come into a they come into a con- into a concert hall and they think that they're supposed to just shut up and sit still and listen to this sacred music and not understanding that uh mozart the Hofner serenade was for a wedding. Nobody was, everybody was talking. And drinking. (laughs) And and drinking and and laughing. And it's only when he got up and played the violin for, you know, a few licks that they went, oh, okay, and then they went back to do this. So so I I love all that stuff. Great. Acting-wise, what else are you working on at the moment or what do you have coming up? Well, uh, the only acting that I am doing next is um the peer Gind. that's what i know um um, i'm not really looking for stuff i don't want to spend I, i have and it was leonard you know i well you do know obviously but maybe the audience doesn't uh leonard nimoy and i had a company uh called alien voices and we ended up um working with each other for uh, very closely for about four years. Uh, and then we just got tired of having to sell stuff. We enjoyed making it. We just didn't enjoy selling it. Right. Um, but he used to say tasty morsels. And um, and I met Leonard at an age which is younger. or er, Excuse me. Uh, I'm older than when I when when his age was when I met him and he was he was probably in his 65 or so and he was saying tasty morsels and I think it's yeah. so I go to project from project to project to project what what interests me and what comes up
2: there you go all right let me open it up to some fan questions that I've got here uh how would you envision the afterlife for Q that is from gnomes well,
3: um, we actually talked about that in Picard. Um, I envisioned it this way. How does an omniscient creature deal with the unknown? Can't be omniscient in the same space as an unknown, mm-hmm. and so. I felt that Q as an omniscient and omnipotent creature would move towards the unknown. So as to know it. I like
2: that, all right. Uh, Alexa is asking, what's been one of your favorite works? I just purchased Legend and of course we loved you as Q, but what's been one of your favorite works? Let me let me put it that a different way, actually. What's a work of yours that you wish were as popular as your Star Trek work? what What's underrated? What do you love that you wish people saw? Well,
3: I think that legend was um, uh, not just not enough people saw it, right? It was an um, early UPN show. It was an early UPN show. It was written by Michael Piller for you. Um, it was beautifully written and um, a lot of good stuff went in. And, you know, it had like a little bit of that kind of Preston Sturgis kind of feel about it. And I wish that it, it had been seen more.
2: It was a great show. Were you surprised it didn't last or did
3: you think it was too offbeat? No, I'm not surprised. I'll tell you, we worked so hard. Our days were never less than 12 more like fourteen, and there were times I remember once where I was told um, I went, "Oh my God, I'm finished at seven tonight. That's fantastic!" And he goes, "Well, I'm sorry, John, but we're picking you up on the on the other crew, that's going to then take you until seven in the morning." I went, "Oh yeah, yeah." So so when it came in, when it came down that we had been canceled, uh, I, I at least for myself, we were gray. With, with just like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. It was only afterwards that um, I began thinking, oh, what a shame. What a shame. And uh, the irony is is that the, the woman who came in to take over the studio, and then as is their wont, often they throw things out. Uh, she got thrown out about a year or two later. right. And then um my agent called me up to say, huh, well, here's an irony. Uh UPN is looking for shows just like legend. <laughs> <laughs> that is the ultimate FU irony. Yes.
2: All right. So uh, let's see, Riddler's gal is asking, I know you have three grandchildren now. Owen has a little boy, Keegan has a four-year-old, uh, but was the new baby not so new anymore, a boy or a girl? Girl. How old now? She just turned one. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. How do you enjoy being a grandpa? And how does, that word, how does that word
3: resonate for you, grandpa? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, we had in in we had a very unusual experience, uh, you know, a silver lining during the COVID period, and that is is that our older son um, with our grandson and with his wife and grandson. And our grandson uh, came to the house. They they were in D.C. and they needed to have um, language training. Uh, they're, they're they're in the uh, State Department, and they were very concerned about having language training in D.C. because they would have had to have given their their son over to a you know some school or something like that. And it was just right at, at the height of COVID, and so so they asked if they could come and. So we lived as a, uh, as a multi-generational family for 10 months, and that was great. I mean, it had its, it had its problems. Of course. Yeah, but, but overall, it was great. It was great fun. So I really got to, we really got to, uh, to know our, our oldest grandson. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like when we started with COVID, my
2: son and daughter came home. And we had the there. four of us with their childhood dog for I think it was six weeks total, and uh-huh. we'll, ne- we'll never have that again. So
3: exactly
2: exactly one little silver lining from from COVID anyway for us. Exactly. exactly. Uh, let's see. Miss Mobius is asking, would you ever do another TV series with Richard Dean Anderson? And if yes, do there happen to be any actual plans for
3: such a thing? Have you ever discussed it? no we've never discussed it i mean you know one of the things is is that uh, this is very different than the um uh, judy garland and mickey rooney let's put on a play you know that type right. of you know things, things cost money <laughs> yeah it, it, the last thing that you put together when you are putting together a television show is the cast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you might have one or two ringers in there, but I mean, that's, it's the, we're so far down the line, you know, there's so many things that, so no, the the answer is no, it's, it's it's not going to happen.
2: How often do you get handed interesting gifts from fans?
3: And, And what have you gotten? Um, well, it usually happens at a convention, and the one in which I'm thinking there was a lady just a couple of weeks ago, uh, she gave me a um origami, which was the tiniest origami I have ever seen. And it was a parrot that 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 perched on my finger. <laughs> it showed such you know, kind of skill and artistry and and stuff like that. So that was fun. Don't give me anything to read because I won't.
2: (laughs) And let's see, one more here. I loved your final scenes with Patrick Stewart in Picard. Thank you. How much of your scenes uh were ad-libbed with your own (laughs) cuness
3: Well, the big difference between Next Generation, where you could not touch anything and everything uh, could not touch the lines and everything was a spin, mm-hmm. I could spin just because it says I love you. I could deliver it in such a way that you go, oh, my God, that's, the, you know, that there's a lot going on underneath that that is not on the, on the line. In Picard, uh, they were very willing to listen to me to to others um um so there were some lines here and there and the only thing is is that once you get into actual f- filming you're not it's really still not an environment we're not filming a comedy or anything like that you um uh, the lines might have been tweaked up until filming but then when filming happens you deliver the lines and then and then everything becomes how you deliver the lines right
2: and then how pleased were you with the farewell hug
3: well (laughs) uh, there are there are there are two farewells in that episode the first farewell um Takes place it, it, there, okay. Mm-hmm. There's another one that takes place outside, which I, I frankly thought was kind of like I had already said goodbye. <laughs> that was a goodbye scene for a lot of other people, but right. you know, and that I didn't have frankly any involvement with. Right. So that scene that you showed, I thought was was um, uh, worked out well and. When we were finished, um, just so that you understand that that's shot in a you know it, it, in a, in a in a set that's like this and and then outside of that set, I don't know you know outside of that set, we, we're in the set, and outside of that set is where the cameras are focused. and that's all and out here is all black. Hmm. So we're acting in there and when we started that scene there were you know the the necessary people who were there in other words the crew mm-hmm. but we were finished um you know you know got there was this big uh, um, applause and i i looked out and i was like oh, where's that going on? and the set had fi- or the the stage had filled up with A lot of people who had come to see that final scene. So it was nice.
2: Was that Q saying goodbye to Picard or was that John Delancey saying goodbye to Patrick Stewart? You know, it's all
3: the same. The way I play it, it's all personal.
2: (laughs) All right. Super R illustrations. What kind of books do you enjoy reading? And are you currently reading anything right now?
3: I enjoy um, history books uh, everything that was had been written about crossing oceans, just about everything i I have read, all the um, explorations uh, the the Portuguese, all the western es- explorations that took place you know in the 14th. 15th century. Uh, I read all of those. I'm of late having more and more difficulty literally reading. So uh, I bought myself a Kindle and I have to start moving things over to that. Thank you. Um, yeah.
2: you mentioned very early on in the interview that you were not a great reader as a kid. Is, is all of this making up for lost time?
3: you what know experiences
2: it's really interesting
3: yeah yeah uh, yeah uh, it, i've never not read i've never not read i'm not the person who you would give um a big stack of you know contracts to and stuff like that i'm i'm just not i'm just not i'm too slow i'm very slow hmm. i'm a slow reader um i wrote a um I had to d- to present a, an award, a big award, a hundred thousand dollar award, for poetry, and you know they they asked me because because I'm a minor celebrity, but they didn't realize that they were asking somebody for which this meant a great deal to. Mm. So I wrote uh, a uh, uh, a speech about how I learned how to read being so dyslexic that when I would open uh, uh, the page, you know, the, the, the page of a book and you would just see a chunk like this and another chunk on the other page of just words. I was just like, my God. But one day I opened up a book called The Golden Treasury of Poetry and they were little poems, you know, a little poem here, a little poem. And my eyes could kind of focus on that. And that's what got me to start reading because I started saying to myself, first of all, I started saying to myself, I need to learn how to read. I mean, I'm I'm 11 and 12 years old at this point. I've already flunked out of two schools. Mm. I need to learn how to read. And then I would start reading things out uh, uh, aloud. I think, by the way, you go back to the voice thing. I I went to a, a little tiny school, the Booth School, uh, essentially for a lot of wayward kids. And 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 um, there were only 19 of us in our enti- entire class and what happened. And we had a great teacher, Mr. Biddle, who would say, we're going to do Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. And now we're going to do Henry V. And Delancey, you're going to play Henry V. And, you know, th- I'm 13, 14 years old at this point. But he also, because I didn't know how to spell... He goes, you're going to learn how to spell. And he would take me out to the soccer field or football field, whatever you want to call it. And I would be under one goalpost and he would be under the other. And he would scream out words to me and I would scream back. And I think in a way that developed, helped to develop projection. Wow. I got to
2: ask, we're talking 60 years later. You remember Mr. Biddle. Did you ever Uh, get a chance? Did you ever get a chance
3: to thank him? Mr. Biddle. Mr. Biddle's paintings are in my house. So the answer is yes. Yes.
2: Very cool. And right, I got one more question from a fan and then we're going to do the speed round, my friend. How young was John when he knew he wanted to be an actor?
3: Uh, I was probably 14. It was the first time I had just done Henry V. Um, people seemed to be all uh, Twitter about it, and um, it was the first time in my life that I had ever been gotten a compliment for anything that I had ever done at school. So I just grabbed onto that like it was a life preserver, And I'm not even sure whether I wanted to be an actor as much as I just wanted not to sink right. And you haven't sunk?
2: All right, I've got a question here that somebody just added last minute. Uh, are you interested at all in directing or writing an ocean-going movie yourself? Mixing your loves.
3: Yeah, ocean-going movies are very difficult to shoot. Uh, extremely difficult to shoot. And um, I, I, I had uh, on on the way back from uh, Raya with a young man, Ray, uh, we had some, some issues, uh, and you know, in, in, in sailor, you know, long distance sailor talk and what have you, you want to have challenges that then don't kill you. Right. <laughs> you know, so that you can talk about it and go, gee, I, I got through that. I'm, uh, But I'll tell you, it was a little bit like this, um, yeah, sure. Uh, it's not going to happen. It, it's just there, there are too many elements. The making of a movie is so complicated. It's so complicated. That's why that's why it's easy for me to stay in the um, in in the orchestral world, you know, and then plays and stuff like that, because I can create them very quickly and and do them. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> not five years trying to do them. All right,
2: let's get to the speed round. These will just be fun. You don't need to go into detail, just right off the top of your head. What's your favorite color? Blue. Drink of choice. Rye. Rye. How long is a piece of string?
3: As long as it needs to be.
2: Is Q dead or now part of something bigger?
1: Always bigger.
3: (laughs)
2: <laughs> you can witness any real moment in history. Which do you choose?
3: I, I want to be, I, I be in the fly in the wall when Alexander the Great, as a young man, decides I'm taking over the world. Uh, Yeah. Or or shows up in Siwa. Fair enough. Best book you've ever read? The Discoverers. Borstein. Best movie you've ever seen. and, And I'm going to add the one that made the most impression on me, Jules Verne's Mysterious Island.
2: What movie of yours do you wish you had not been cut out of as much? Oh, Fearless. What a great movie. Your bits were great, and I'm sure I remember at the time talking to you. Your scene got cut, right? All the good stuff with Jeff.
3: it's you know, I ended up having to lay down on the bed when when um when um peter um Peter weird called me. He said, uh, I got to get to you before anybody else does. And I go, oh, my God, I've been fired. I got no email. I've shot the movie. How's that possible? And he said, we've decided to start with the plane crash. And I went, "But Peter, that's my whole part. All of that stuff before is my whole part. So, hey, happens.
2: Have you ever seen the footage? Is it on the Blu-ray or did it not even make the extras?
3: I, I don't know. You know, I rarely look at anything anyway, so
2: it doesn't matter. Here's a question: Are you an actor who looks at himself? Do you watch yourself, or you don't like it?
3: I don't like it. I, I watch myself with great uh, trepidation, and then it, it mostly to go, "Oh, okay, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought." So it's just hard, you know. Um, uh, you know, and I know some people who just watch themselves. Mm-hmm. And I go, Oof. "What's still on your bucket list?" Well, I don't know, really. Um, I don't know if another sale would be make sense. I've already done that. A big, long one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, I can't really answer that. Fair I enough. think maybe just to spend a little bit more time with, with uh, the kids and the grandkids and what have you. But I'm not retired. God damn it. There you go. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? Potato chips. Really? Oh, my God. And popcorn. And anything salty. There you go. And, yeah. and crunchy. Pretzels. Pretzels covers Pretzels. As well. be out There you go. All right. Let's do some show
2: and tell. I haven't seen what you got, so this will be fresh for me. Show me okay. something.
3: Okay. I just thought that this was funny. Oh, I got to go and get it. These are all Star Trek things. Awesome. Um, The idea that someone, you know, some people like to put, you know, the Virgin Mary on their Christmas trees. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How freaky is that? how freaky is that yes and you know what i think that the the face is not too bad actually
2: how freaky is it to hold yourself in your hand and know people have this um, on it?
3: yeah listen i was once uh we were r- rushing out the door and going up the stairs to where the car was with the boys when they were young and all of a sudden one of them you know, and we were late, and one of them uh, breaks away and starts running back downstairs. I go, "Where are you going?" And he goes, "I got to get dad." And I looked up to my wife, and I went, "What?" She said, "Your action figure."
2: <laughs> Life of an actor on a Star Trek show. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that's right. So there's that. Well, There's this with his Sonia, Sonia Helios, who I just thought, I don't know if I can get more light on this. Let me see. Um, I, this was the first thing I was given when I, I mean, within within a matter of, I, I can just show you over here. I don't know if you can see it. Do you see that? Yep. Got a little higher. There you go. Uh, Very full. I, cool. I thought that that was amazing. And I've had it hanging in my office ever since. And then the other thing... Talk, about, over, talk, over, talk about full be, circle with Helios.
2: Sonya Helios yeah. and the show you just did. And then this, this last thing,
3: which I had... Uh, and I showed Leonard. And it was hilarious because... He just didn't get it. He did not find it funny.
0: <laughs>
3: Dynasty. to see it. You're building this up. What is it?
2: <laughs> okay.
3: I said, "Don't." And I and actually, I showed this to Bill a couple of weeks ago. No reaction from Bill either. No, no. He said, "Do you want me to sign it?" <laughs> I said, "I said no." Did he charge you a hundred bucks? <laughs> <laughs> Uh but it's funny, his letter is like, well, you weren't in that. I said no, it's a it's a mashup. Oh, okay. Very I funny. always I always find that and I have that downstairs in my office.
2: What is the craziest thing you've seen your face plastered on?
1: Oh uh,
3: I don't know, nothing comes to mind really.
2: Leonard woe's talked about that Heineken
3: ad. With the yeah, different, yeah. Right. Yeah, but he also did pretty well by uh, with that. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Right. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. All, right. So, ha, ha, ha. Yes.
2: All right. So, is there yeah. anything that you've never answered about your Star Trek experience that, if you were going to interview yourself, you would ask you?
3: Um. Uh, No. I mean, you have to understand, and I think I've told you this privately, this is like having cooked a meal 35 years ago that everybody knows about the meal, but they're not asking about the meal anymore. They're asking about when you went to the grocery store to pick up the 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 ingredients. Bakes the actual and, ingredients, yes, you know, but they're not even asking about that because when you go, well, I, you know, I got, I got some potatoes. No, no, like children, in, with when you're telling them the story, and they know that you've deviated from the story. No, remember, you looked, you took that 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 potato, and you looked at it, and you just went, no, that's not a good enough one, and then you picked up the other one. It's so detailed now that I just I just don't have. Nothing particularly comes to mind. It's funny. The fans know the stories better than some of Absolutely. the people who lived it at this point. Absolutely, which was my discussion, and, and and the writers agreed with this. I said, you know, the fans know the show better than we do. They just know the show better than we do. Right. That's why I, I'm very, very... Um, uh, uh, I, I I I I feel that they uh, respectful of, of 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 what the fans are you know especially the ones who really do know the child. I mean,
2: and they, well, you've got a Mike McMahon who's running one of the shows now. How much fun was the
3: lower decks experience? Yeah, right. Oh, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, you know, uh, 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 that type of experience is 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 short lived to the extent that you're really there for an hour, maybe. And in, right. in my case, it was very short. Very cool. Well, yeah. before I let you go, John, is there a charity
2: that you want to shout out and draw people's attention to?
3: Is there a, a group you support? Uh, you know what? Uh, yes, but I I kind of don't. I, I just do that privately.
2: Okay. I was
3: going to yeah. say planetary
2: society because I know you were involved with some of that. At
3: very absolutely, parts. and 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 I think what they're doing is great. Um, but the other stuff is is a little more, um, yeah, private. No worries. Private. Well, good deal. Well, thank you
2: so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. I hope I did ask you a few questions. You either haven't been asked before or have you, rarely you have, been asked. You know what? Ian, it's
3: always great to talk to you.
2: Pleasure, always talking to you. Thank you so yeah. much, John.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Peace and love. Cheers.